Hey you, welcome to Tea Talk, a space to share the therapy tea. I'm Shailene, your host, and I hope you'll join me each week as we sit down to share tips, stories, and conversations on getting better emotionally, recovering from trauma, and improving your overall quality of life. I want to remind everyone that even though podcasts can feel therapeutic, they are definitely not a replacement for therapy. Please, at any point, if you feel the need to take a break because the content is too heavy, please do that and take care of yourself. Also, if you're loving this podcast, please do me a favor and leave me a review, share your reflections with me on Instagram and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. All right. So I'm ready. You're ready. And we're friends now. So go ahead and sit down, cozy up, and let's get ready for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by APS Housekeeping. It's Amanda and her awesome cleaning team. They come to my house every couple of weeks, and they also clean several of my friends' houses. And let me tell you, I convinced almost every single person who uses Amanda to use her services for their own mental health. Plus you're supporting another small women-owned business, so that's always a win-win. But one of the best decisions I made for my own mental health and self-care was hiring a house cleaner. Why? Because I have plenty of other things to do and more things that I want to be doing than spending time cleaning the house. So instead of cleaning the house, I'm doing things like getting more work done, spending time with my family, going for a longer walk, all because I have Amanda and her awesome, awesome team to come help me out with all of those other tasks. So sorry, friends, if you're not in the South Jersey area, this isn't benefiting you so much, but if you are, stop what you're doing right now and reach out to Amanda. Let her know that you heard her ad on TikTok and you'll get a 20% discount on your first service. You can reach Amanda at 609-998-1471 and you'll thank me later. Hey everybody, I'm here with Patrick Casal. You remember Patrick from season one of TikTok came on and we talked about imposter syndrome and all of the things related to that. It's a very popular episode. So Patrick's back. Welcome to the show. Patrick, how are you doing? Hey, Shailene. I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Thanks for having me back on here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. So a lot's happened since y'all have last heard from Patrick. What things have happened? Well, we saw each other in Hawaii. That was fun. And found out that Patrick thought I was 45. Um, while we were hanging out for anyone who's wondering, by the way, (laughs) I'm actually 35. So (laughs) had a good laugh about that. Um, but more seriously, into that too, like (laughs) feeling like an asshole, like (laughs) 10 years older than I was. (laughs) What was the context? Context was (laughs) There were a lot of seemingly like irrelevant details that did line up with Patrick thinking I was 45, like the way that I approach technology and just having a lot of questions about things. Shailene's audience now leaves this episode feeling like never going to see anything else practice does so no the only reason it's really funny is because i'm i'm at the time i was 34 so i was even younger than now but um yeah we shared a good laugh yeah it was um it was very funny but anyway so outside of hanging out and having fun and figuring out that i'm 35 and not 45 some other big things happened (laughs) so i asked patrick to come on and talk a bit about it um you had a major surgery Can you tell everyone a little bit about the condition that 
had you set up to have to get this big surgery? Yeah, so I um, have had a rare throat condition that I've had multiple surgeries for now um, over the last couple of years. I had one a couple of Aprils ago, which was a lot of fun. That was endoscopic, and then the issue came back. So now here we are having a second surgery uh, less than two years from then and just have some vocal cord damage. So still getting my voice back, still struggling to have energy, all the things that come with uh, a major surgery in general. Yeah, what is the name of the throat condition? Uh, the name of the throat condition is called Zenker's diverticulum. And essentially what happens is you have trouble swallowing food. Um, and that was the tip off to me. And, but, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I have acid reflux too. And it's like, no, it's, it's not the same thing. There's a small pouch that develops behind your esophagus. So every time you try to swallow, everything goes into the pouch instead of down your breathing or your feeding tube into your stomach. So it, it just leads to choking. It leads to asphyxiation, pneumonia, all sorts of fun stuff. So chronic condition will be lifelong and we'll have to have more surgeries. But the struggle really is like when you're the face of a business and so much of your business is revolving around talking. Uh, it was, it's been a scary and unsettling experience to say the least. Yeah. I mean, even just, I mean, I've heard the, the first time I've ever heard of this and um, obviously kind of like watching you go through it. I've learned about it and it feels so terrifying on the outside. I can't imagine how it must have felt for you. And I know you're pretty open just about the anxiety that was building up before having the surgery. You said previously you've had surgeries or was this the same kind of scale surgery, like same process or was this different from past ones? So the first one was endoscopic. So it was a lot less invasive. It's like a night in the hospital, a week of like a liquid diet and then kind of recovery. And that was the goal of hey, we don't want to have the more invasive open throat surgery at 34 at the time. If we can prevent it, if it can last, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever the case, if it buys you some time, that's a good thing. And then within about three or four months, the issue had already recurred where I was having trouble swallowing, choking on everything I was eating and drinking, uh, waking up choking and all the, the stuff that comes with it. So I uh, ultimately ended up going back to the doctor and they said, well, you know, it shouldn't have recurred so quickly, but now I think we should have the open throat surgery. It's going to be much more intensive. And, you know, obviously when you're, when you're cutting yourself open, right, like in any surgery, there's risk for complication. And the risk for me that I was the most nervous about was vocal cord paralysis or vocal cord damage. And of course that is what happened. And, um, you know, it's going to be a situation where I either have to have vocal cord surgery or you have to learn to live with very different capacity and, and limitations because my voice will get very hoarse. It'll go out. I won't be able to speak uh, after speaking, you know, socially or doing work throughout the day. And then, you know, that impacts everything. My podcast, my conferences, my retreats, everything I do. And you learn to adapt, like writing things down for your friends or colleagues and, you know, really trying to figure out ways to have strategies in place. But ultimately, what we know to be true is that one of the vocal cords is just not moving at all. So uh, it was damaged during the surgery and now we have to kind of start making some more difficult decisions about, do you want to have another surgery after being in the midst of recovery from a major traumatic experience? And at this point in time, the answer is no. I have three retreats coming up that I need to be able to participate in. And maybe once those are over, I will reconsider my options. But it's a uh, it's not a fun place to be. Yeah. So tell people a little bit about what you had to do to prepare for the surgery and what the recovery has been like. So people are hearing you and probably 
anybody who doesn't know you might not think anything just in terms of how you sound and all, but it's been a really long road. Can you share a little bit about like preparatory and recovery and what was involved to get you to even where you are right now? Yeah. So, you know, I think for what I had to do in terms of both of my businesses is I had to start shutting things down pretty early in saying no to a lot of opportunities that were coming my way and just the recognition that I wasn't going to have the energy or the capacity and really making sure all your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed. Like, Hey, this is the plan for when I'm out of, I own a group practice. So I had to really be really connected to my admin staff, my support staff, my clinical leads to say, Hey, this is what I need from y'all during this time. I was still seeing therapy clients at the time. I told them I have no idea, you know, when I will come back to be able to be your therapist again coaching clients. I stopped taking them back in August, but I've had so many inquiries since then of people who want me to to coach them and support them. And I've had to refer them all out. And what I also did with my podcast was record enough episodes to get through the new year from October when I had surgery. I wanted to make sure because we have sponsors in place and um, I wanted to ensure that I didn't have to worry about anything while I was on recovery. So there's a lot of mental prep. There's a lot of logistical prep. And I think having good support staff in place is really important around all of that. Definitely made my life easier. And then after surgery, you know, I I expected it to be like a month of recovery and then I was going to be good to go. And that just hasn't happened. You know, surgery was mid-October. We're now in February. My voice is still not back. My energy levels are not back. And I think you can so often discount or minimize the impact of an experience and all things recovery and just not giving myself the permission to say, this is probably going to be a year where things just don't feel the same instead of feeling like I'm going to be back to normal speed at, after a month. I don't, I don't like to have limitations. I'm kind of a go, go, go person. So it's definitely been pretty challenging. Yeah. And all of that work-related stuff, there's also just the physical preparation and impact and recovery, and then the social preparation, impact recovery. How long did you have to go before without like eating foods? And then how long did it take you to be able to get back to eating foods again? Yeah, um, I think it was like probably a month where I couldn't eat actual food. It had to be liquid form. So you have like a week of clear liquid, which is pure hell because it's just jello and broth and it's not appetizing in general, let alone three to four times a day. And yeah. you just feel like so weak because there's not a lot of nutrients and there's not a lot of calories in, in either of those things. And you wake up for breakfast and you're like, oh, fuck, well, I can have broth or I can have jello. It's like there's not a whole lot going on here. And then about uh, another week and a half of a full liquid diet, which was good because then you can have smoothies, milkshakes, things like that, things that can be liquid form. And then you start to eat soft foods and kind of start introducing uh, just to make sure, like, I was very worried I was going to eat something that was going to rupture, like, the incisions in my throat or, like, things were going to, because there's a there was a lot of risk of, like, leakage of not just food, but air underneath the incision sites and all these things they tell you to look out for. So I was, like, very, very mindful of what I'm going to eat, what am I going to drink, you know, like, what am I, what am I going to do for the day? And it just takes a lot of mental energy to to plan almost every step of your day. And... You know, I definitely tempted fate a couple of times where I was like, I really want food. And I tried to blend the, I tried to blend a Big Mac at one point in time because I had the, I had a craving and I will say you can blend anything, but that doesn't mean it's going to be appetizing. (laughs) That sucks. It just shows you like how 
uh, like, I mean, desperate, I imagine you become when you have to have the same kind of stuff over and over. And food is such a, for me, food is such a reinforcing part of life. Like I reward myself through food. Like I want to get to the end of the week to get to this dinner. If I'm going to hang out with friends, where are we going to get tacos? Like, it's just such a piece of life for me that I probably would have been blending all kinds of shit that was disgusting and trying to do whatever I could to eat it. But, you know, like it's definitely one of those things where you have to start getting uncomfortable with the textures of food if you want to try to introduce anything new into your diet. Yeah. What about how did it the whole process like how's it been impacting your friendships and relationships and stuff like that? What's the social impact of everything you've been going through? I've been very fortunate to have so many people in my life who's checked on me and asked me if I need anything. And that's always really nice to have. Sometimes it can feel like, oh God, I I have to answer another person who is like asking to help me. And that can bring up some shit, but like ultimately it's been good. And during the first month of recovery, my wife had made like a, a Google calendar for our friend group of like, who wants to come over and watch this show that you both really like, or World Cup was going on. Who wants to come over and watch games uh, at the house and stuff like that? So it was nice because it was stuff to look forward to. All of these people kind of knew, like, I'm not going to be able to speak. I'm going to have to just kind of lay here or be on the couch and not really socializing. And as long as you're okay with that, you know, then we can do this. And, you know, it was very cool to just have people definitely show up in that way. And then, you know, internet friends such as yourself and other folks that I'm connected to that would check in on me. And I think that sometimes just the amount of people who have access to me can feel overwhelming in terms of DMs and messages and things like that. And I think that's the positive and negative of being an in someone who has a audience because people always feel like they know you more than you know them. And it was really challenging for me to kind of set boundaries and have people asking me for favors or advice during recovery. And I've always been a very responsive person. And really all I wanted to say was like, yeah, I don't have I don't have the energy or capacity for this stuff, which you know I've gotten a lot better at too. So surgeries definitely helped me slow down and revisit how I want to communicate and how I want to show up. And I think that's that's been a challenge as well. Yeah. Was it hard sometimes? Like it sounds like you had people who were coming over who were they were in the know, like I'm not gonna be talking to you or hosting like I normally would. What was that experience like for you to kind of just be with people and not really be able to talk with them or respond to them? It's hard. Um, you know, I think that I would sometimes feel responsible for them of like, are they, you know, enjoying themselves or yeah. are we having a good time? Uh, is it my responsibility to ask you if you want anything? And I just had to really get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's what this whole year is going to be about for me is is really trying to figure out what a new normal is because at this point in time, it's I don't have the energy that I had. I don't have the vocal capacity that I had. I I get tired easily. I don't want to be social as much as I used to. So um, it's just really paying attention to where that energy gets spent. Yeah. So what's on the horizon now is having to potentially get another surgery that's pretty serious for your vocal cords. What happens if you don't get that surgery? I guess there's always the possibility that you can regain vocal strength, but just from all the testing we've done, it doesn't look like that will be the case. Otherwise, you just really have to get used to this new uh, limitation where 
it doesn't take much for my voice to go hoarse. It's really hard to emphasize and enunciate and, and speak loudly. If I'm in a loud environment, most people that I'm with can't hear me. Sometimes I have to type things out so that they can see what I want to say to them or what I'm trying to say. Uh, so there's all these adaptations that come with living with a medical complication. And I think that's a challenge, you know, and if I am in a loud environment in general, if I was at a bar with a friend and went to order a drink, sometimes the bartender's like, I, I didn't hear you and I have to try to say it again. Or same thing with a, a busy restaurant or a loud coffee shop, same situation. And it's just trying to figure out how can I create a situation for myself where life's a bit easier to, to navigate in, in that regard too. This episode is brought to you by Rebel Mente and the Embodied Healing Training. It's a 15-hour training for yoga teachers, helping professionals, educators, and really anybody that wants to have a positive influence on somebody they know, or maybe even themselves if they've endured some sort of trauma. When I was a new yoga teacher, I thought that I was set in being able to help utilize yoga with my trauma clients because I was already a trained mental health professional at that point. And so finishing yoga teacher training, I thought, okay, I can just put these things together and that'll be fine. Turns out that that wasn't true and I had to fill in a lot of gaps and I took a deep dive into training to help get to where I am today. On the other side, in my clinical work, I knew that there were many clients of mine who would say things like, well, I logically get why I shouldn't feel this way anymore, but I still feel this way in my body. And so it just seemed like there was a branch missing to connect mind and body and they needed more somatic resources. So all of that has brought me to now I created the Embodied Healing Training to help other professionals with these same kind of problems. And the training is held in person March 10th through the 12th. It's 15 hours long and it'll be at the DBT of South Jersey Yoga Studio. You can find all of the information and sign up on rebelmente.com under the yoga tab. Make sure to sign up as soon as you can because there's only a small amount of spots available. Can't wait to see you there. You talk very openly with your audience, your friends, really anybody about being somebody that's neurodivergent. And I'm wondering how has, has this played into any of that in terms of like seeing struggles that you probably already, the struggles that you already talk about that you have. And then now you have this other thing. And I'm wondering, have you thought about that? Has that impacted you? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, you know, I think that really came up for me. Uh, during the retreat that I just got done co-hosting in January with our with our mutual friend Jennifer, just because as someone who's autistic and ADHD, my energy absorption is often magnified and sensory overwhelm and getting depleted really easily. So add in the the exhaustion of a surgery recovery and a vocal issue, and I was finding myself like getting really irritable really easily really run down, frustrated with myself because I was run down, frustrated because I had to keep repeating myself or asking people to say things for me, just not having the energy to show up the way I wanted to that I know I can and have. And it really put things in perspective for me about, okay, well, you've created this side of your business where you're doing all these retreats and helping people travel. And it's the best of both worlds. I mean, that's what I've always wanted to do. And and I started to have this almost like grief freak out moment where I was like, but what if you can't do it anymore and you've created all these things and you just really can't show up? And I know that I'm just going to have to show up differently. 
I never have had a problem or shying away of talking about how I'm feeling in the moment. So I'll always do that with my audience. But I think what is more glaringly obvious to me is the energy piece of saying like, I'm going to have to step away. I'm going to have to shut it down. I'm going to have to go take a break. And I think that's hard when you're hosting because a lot of hosting and creating an experience is being on all the time and available for questions and coaching and support and dealing with the vendors and all the stuff that comes with it. So, you know, I started to think about my upcoming Ireland retreat and the Spain retreat that we're hosting. And it's like, I don't know if I can even do these things. And people are, have paid a lot of money to come to these experiences. But thankfully, having lots of good support in place and, and other people that are involved, so I don't have to be the only person involved. And I think that helps quite a bit as well. It's a bit of a reassurance. That's a, it's a good point that I hadn't thought of before the grief that comes with, and, you know, for a long time, myself, even I had always thought, even as a therapist, like I had always thought of grief in the sense of like losing people, not in the sense of loss in general, and and the things that we have to grieve throughout life. And that is a really hard moment where you have the realization that your reality and your expectations of reality don't match up. And especially when it's something that you've put, you know, your life's work and effort into to build. And then you're like, wait a minute now, at the very least, I'm going to have to slow down. And that, you know, that that in itself is a loss. Yeah, it is. And I think there can be a lot of sadness with that. There can be anger. There can be resentment, frustration, um, hopefully get to acceptance at some point in time. But it is a challenge. And I think that was a very big moment for me when I started to feel like I feel closer to being disabled than functional because of how much energy it's taking me to show up and do the things that I'm so used to doing. And autism is a disabling neurodevelopmental condition. And the fact that I've managed to do the things I've done and create the things I've created, I'm so used to just being able to overcome the obstacles, whether they're internal or external. And to not be able to do that was really, really challenging. I think I left the retreat venue at one point in time because I was so overwhelmed that I wanted to just like fucking scream. I had to walk down the street by myself a couple of times to just like regulate. But, you know, I, I also definitely did a good job of communicating that to the other person I was hosting with and, and just some other people in my life to just say, hey, this is what's happening for me right now. And I just want to be really honest about it. So I know going into Ireland, it's my event. And I think that's a struggle because I'm like, you know, I have three other coaches and I have support. We're all going to do more than their share. But then I'm like, but it's my event that I've created. Like, if I can't show up the way I want to show up, that feels really challenging. But I'm going to have to make peace with the fact that that is going to have to be the reality this year. And maybe it feels like a blessing that like my wife is coming to that event. My virtual assistant, I, I gifted a spot to that event with her fiance. There are lots of people who will be there who are going to be able to do things that I'm not able to do. And I think everyone will have a great time regardless. And it's going to be more about me having some acceptance about maybe I run it like 150% most of the time. And right now my 70% is like most people's 100% is what I have to try to start thinking about it as. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you, do you think that your uh, attendees are going to suffer at all? And it sounds like the answer is no. It sounds like this is more about you reckoning with 
again, that the loss of the expectation of what you would like to put out and what you're actually able to put out. Yeah. I don't think people will suffer. I think that there's a lot of intention put into these types of situations and events and experiences. And I have three speakers, my virtual assistant, who's offered to support my wife, who will be there to help with whatever. The venue hostess is great. The tour guide is great. Like, There's nothing saying that this event will be poor quality. It's just more so internally, am I going to be okay with not being there at the capacity that I'm used to. Yeah. We've had some conversations around uh, and you've said some things that kind of me in like my DBT brain, I'm always thinking about like, Oh, that was a skill that was like, you know, creating meaning. I'm pulling something out of this event that I can learn from and grow from. And so I'm wondering about you and I have had conversations around this experience kind of showing you some things about yourself and your work and your just life in general. Like, Hey, after this, it's not even really about my capacity. I just, I'm realizing I don't even like that. (laughs) Like now that I have to be really selective with my time, my energy, my work, I've learned that I I don't really like this and I don't, maybe don't want to spend time with these people. What were some insights that you had that you think you wouldn't have gained as a result of going through this? I think I realized that I'm not really a huge fan of doing one-on-one coaching. I was doing a lot of it and I get a lot of inquiries, which I'm grateful for, but I don't enjoy 60 minute increments of time one-on-one because my energy is so low and it was probably like this prior to surgery, just a bit higher where 60 minutes after 60 minutes after 60 minutes is absolutely draining and exhausting. So for me, I get the best usage of my resources in small group settings where I can have an impact on more than one person at once. I don't have to say the same thing over and over again. I don't have to look at my calendar and see that I have a one o'clock, a two o'clock, a three o'clock, a four o'clock. And that also goes for one-on-one mental health therapy. Since getting surgery and, and all the throat stuff and recovery, I've let the remaining clients know who are on my caseload. I didn't have many of them, but those that I did were on my caseload for years that I was no longer going to be able to support them as a, a therapist at this point in time. And there's a lot of shit that's come up around that and has come up around that in the past. But I also think that it was the best thing I could do because I was never going to be able to show up the way I'd want to show up for them. And the same goes for individual coaching clients. I just was never going to show up again in the same way or be able to. So it just made more sense to me to start referring things out that I knew I didn't have the capacity for anymore. Yeah. Some of this might have nothing to do with um, the surgery, but I'll ask anyway, just in case. The last year you've done like more conferences, speaking events, things like that. And um, now, I mean, you're busy, like you've got your own retreats that you're holding and they're more intimate, they're more experiential, they're like all over the world. So I'm curious about that and what you envision for your platform in terms of speaking at larger conferences, only because this thing about like your voice is coming up and it's just an interesting parallel, like the literal meaning of it, but then also like the deeper meaning that comes behind, you know, how do I want to make these changes in my life? And I'm wondering if that is that one of them. Yeah, I think one of my biggest fears going into surgery was losing my voice and not just actually losing my voice, but my platform, my audience that I've worked so hard to create, the association between the two. If I can no longer do X, Y, and Z, will I 
you know, lose everything I've created based upon how I show up. And a couple of good friends help me help remind me that it's about how I show up, not whether or not I can put out 30 videos a week or if I can speak at conference after conference, but I am speaking at a conference in Costa Rica at the end of February and it will be in front of 150 people. I am not going to lie. If I would say I was not nervous about that, not just because I'm always getting nervous about stuff like that anyway, but am I going to be able to kind of broadcast my voice or, you know, get it to the range that I needed to get? And I'll have a microphone. So I think that will be helpful, but I'll name that while I'm on stage, you know, is just the reality is, is this. And I think for me, what I've realized going forward is that it's going to have to be more small, intimate connection and experience. And I think that's not just for vocal purposes, but also what I want out of life and in how I thrive in general is in those settings. So I don't do well in big events. I don't do well in big conferences or summits or audiences anyway. So I think that really just tapping into that strength. And if I can continue to host and showcase and highlight like really kick-ass events all over the world and people get a lot out of them, then I think that's just going to continue to build on itself as well and really ensures that the audience might change. Like, yeah, it might not, it may no longer be private practice startup audiences. And that's okay because as I talk about all the time, your entrepreneurial journey evolves over time. And I am kind of bored with private practice startup. I think I've felt that way for a long time. So this surgery may actually be the impetus and the catalyst for me to say, I'm going to pivot into the next chapter of my entrepreneur journey. Yeah. You talked a little bit about, not directly, but you've kind of said like, here are things that people have done that have been helpful when I'm going through this big thing. And I want to ask about that more directly for listeners who are supporting somebody who's going through something major or something that a lot of people don't understand. Like, what are some of the do's and don'ts of being someone that's supporting someone through a really tough journey like that? Yeah, I. it's hard to answer that in a way that's not like what I would prefer, you know, and I know that that doesn't mean that's what everybody would prefer. But what I can't, you know, what I don't enjoy is when People seem to want to dance around the severity of the issue. I hate the whole, like, I'm sending thoughts and prayers and hoping for the best possible outcome. And I'm like, the outcome is the outcome. Like, maybe that's just my neurodivergence talking, but like, let's just cut to the chase and just say, this fucking sucks. And yeah, I see you and I'm here for you and you let me know what you need. And that's all it has to be. Like, I don't, I don't think that often we, I think often we are like trying to make ourselves feel better by the way we kind of connect and communicate with people when they're struggling. So I think just asking what someone needs, like, do you need support with a meal train or like, do you need someone to walk the dogs or do you need someone to come and sit and watch your favorite TV show? Like, I think that goes a long way. And I do think check-ins are definitely appreciated by most people. But again, I, I just, I struggle when we kind of center ourselves in the like, I'm asking you this because I do care, but I'm also saying it in a way that makes me feel better. That just always drives me nuts in any situation. But, you know, I, I know I'm not everybody in that regard. No, as well. it's a good, it's a good point because there's a couple of things that it made me think about. I have a really good friend who's going through 
a really horrible sickness and um, it's hard for me to no degree of how hard it is for her, but it's hard for me to be on the outside and not know how she's doing and want to like have to really be mindful of my urge to like bombard her with texts and calls and stuff like that when I know she doesn't have the capacity to answer me. And if she could, she would. And so I'm teetering this line of like, I want her to know that I'm there for her. And I know that she, I know she does, but I also like desperately want to do something for her and can't. And so like tolerating, you know, Hey, whenever you feel up to texting me, like text me, know that I'm thinking of you, but like, I don't want you to feel pressured to have to get back to me because you're, you need to be spending all of your energy on like getting better. And I just imagine it's like that. That's probably part of what you're talking about is like this expectation to, Hey, you know, I messaged you. You didn't say anything. You're like, well, I'm like dying over here. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think it's again, like out of our own discomfort of having difficult conversations sometimes. And my mom is a prime example of that, of like sending me just ridiculous messages and just say like, you know, I'm something, something about like praying for the best possible outcome. And I would be very blunt with her and say like, what's that? Like, what is that at this point in time? She's like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wanting to well wish you and my thoughts and my prayers are with you and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, just say, just be honest, like be real. Like you can say this is a shitty situation and I am sorry you're experiencing that, but that is the situation. And I think that for so many people is appreciated because it's, that is when you feel seen. You don't feel seen when someone's trying to make themselves feel better because they're uncomfortable by the situation that you're in. So I think that for me has been really helpful and, you know, just being really clear about what I want and don't want too. That's why I make like a bunch of, well, I've made a few public Facebook posts to people that would just say like, Hey, this is the situation. Here's the update. This is what I do need. This is what I don't need. And Mm -hmm. that was really helpful because then people respected that boundary and kind of could acknowledge that that was, that was what worked for me. But I do think it's, you know, just showing up and And just seeing the other person, you can acknowledge, hey, I know you're having a hard time and I just wanted to check in or I wanted to send you like a funny gif or a funny meme or like a quote from a show I know you like. Like those are the things that matter to me. I don't care about like 90 people on a comment thread saying like sending thoughts and prayers and healing vibes and energy. I'm like, I don't fucking care about any of that. So. I was probably one of the people who said that. It's hard for me not to send vibes. (laughs) But that's what I said, like, when I answered this, your question, like, this is probably not the best response. I get it. I I do. I I, I think that what you're saying speaks to what a lot of people can feel when they're going through something that's really serious and something that's really scary or something that's chronic or things that there's just that really do suck and there's no words for and I know for myself as somebody on the outside like I have to I feel like I know that about you specifically like I'm inherently hopeful but I feel like sometimes I'm like all right I gotta scale this back like I can't because I don't know the depths of what you're going through so I can't be like well I can but I don't think it's gonna feel good for me to be like well maybe there's just and you're like Shailene there's not and I'm like okay (laughs) I got it I got it and then like but that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, I, that's, that's not something that's going to apply to, I think, like most people, unless they're friends with each other and they can have those conversations. But right. it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a two way thing being supported and being supportive of somebody in a way that's actually meaningful. 
And for me, and I think like for people who are listening, who are looking for that, they, they want to know that even if it means like, Hey, I didn't get it right that time. Or what else can I say besides like thoughts and prayers? Like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard. And I wish you weren't going through that. And it sucks. Exactly. Yeah. I think so often we kind of make it about ourselves. And then there's this expectation for the person on the receiving end to respond or respond in a way that's not going to hurt that person's feelings or is going to meet what they need. And that's the last thing that person wants on the other side is to have to use more energy to respond a certain way or to do so in a way with like kid gloves so that the other person doesn't get offended. So that's why, you know, anytime my mom messages me that shit, I just ignore it and just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to keep yourself sane. To keep yourself sane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story so vulnerably. I mean, you always do, but I always appreciate it. And I know other people will take something out of here that they're going to be able to apply to themselves or someone that they're supporting who's going through a really hard time. Tell people um, in the meantime where they can catch you and the cool stuff you got coming up. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. I always enjoy these conversations. If you want to learn more about any of these amazing small retreats that are going to happen, you can go to allthingspractice.com. Upcoming options are currently Ireland, Spain, Asheville, Portugal, Ireland, Crete. Jeez, uh, just saying all that stuff out loud makes me tired. Too many. It's <laughs> um, a good thing. And you can join the All Things Private Practice Facebook group. And you can also listen to the All Things Private Practice podcast. It's on all major platforms like download, subscribe, and share. And there are new episodes out every single Sunday. Cool. Check out Patrick and all the amazing stuff he's got to offer. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. All right. That's today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Tea Talk. I hope that your cup of tea is full today and that you were able to pull something out of this for yourself. If you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please send it their way. And let me know what you're thinking by sending me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you all. And make sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving what you're hearing, please leave me a review and a rating. It would mean so much. All right, friends, take good care and I will see you next time.